The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me today is the man known as Uncle Pack here on Twitter. We should have a really good back and forth conversation. Uncle Pack, introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What's your background? How'd you get involved, interested in the markets, in market making? And what are you doing now? Thank you. Thank you, man. Well, cool. And now you're going to call me Uncle, so that's all well and good. Well, I mean, long story short, when I was in, understand I'm from rural South Georgia, where many stock traders come from. And I actually had an uncle that worked for Morgan Key out in Memphis, Tennessee. And nobody in my family ever would guess that I would graduate from college. They weren't sure I was going to graduate high school. And so anyhow, long short, this uncle made a joke to me one time. said, hey, if you ever graduate from college, I got you a job. And sure enough, I managed to cram a, a bachelor's degree into six years with some hard studying. And I called him up a job. I started off as a stockbroker with J.C. Bradford and Company and Georgia. I said, I'm going to business. And then I made it into the market making side. Man, of course, when I started on the NASDAQ, I think it was right at 600 or 700, somewhere along that neighborhood. We did everything by phones, dropped tickets, had runners, rang the bells, all that good stuff. I went from making markets to basically going out on my own as a trader. I ended up running two different prop firms. Offices for firms that are actually some of the day trading firms that are out of New York now. I'm not going to call any names, but the ones that are a lot of people are very familiar with and a lot of firms are still using. I do, I still do some business with those guys, and I'm basically just trading ultimate scalper. I do some long term stuff, but I'm more of a pure day trader. That's just kind of what I'm good at. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm trading the market day by day and taking it one day at a time. Do you think that the experience of being in the South and maybe being skeptical of, you know, of Wall Street to some extent, which I assume you probably have some degree of like I do, that gives you maybe a little bit of a, a unique perspective on markets and maybe some skepticism around the way the system works? Well, I mean, you've been inside the system and I've been inside the system and you know how the system works. Am I, do I need to be politically correct on your show? Fuck no. You're you're good. Hey, well, yes, now we can talk. Uh, I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is, I mean, I don't think you've been following me very long. I've always just been, people, some people think I'm a gruff guy, and I'm really not. What I am is I'm a guy that operates by truth, and truth only. And, and you know, I might get ahead of ourselves on some of the topics we're going to talk about, but, you know, the truth 
you know, is where most traders cannot get to. And that's why they hold on to these stupid losses and stuff is they can't be honest with themselves. And so, uh, you know, I just tell the truth the way I see it. I mean, like uh, my, my personal experience and what I've seen from Wall Street, man, especially these deals that they do, man, it's a complete ripoff. It's a fleecing of the lives. It's a fleecing of the people. I mean, they do not understand what's going on. Like what's going on in the video right now? You know, I mean, like, hey, it's a complete pump up. They announced a port, they announced an offering and had one, they had everything you could do. And it's on the shelf and the shelf was used to manipulate the price of the stock. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not that I'm uh, like necessarily having a skeptical opinion. It's just that if you look at the truth of the matter is my opinion is pretty accurate. And not that I'm always right, I'm not. You know, what always killed me that people say that price is truth. And I always have a problem with that. It's like, Price changes every day, which means truth changes every day. So it really is true, right? It, this is a business purely of opinion, but it's also a business of trying to take advantage of other people's wrong opinions. Okay, so you mentioned the market making side. Just for the audience, explain what what sort of traditional market making is. I'll preface this by saying I remember, you know, I had, I was when I was sixteen, I worked on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and I remember it being busy and full, and there were market makers and there were people running back and forth. I was one of them. That world is largely done because everything is digitized now. What is market making in the past and what is it now? You know, when I started, there was no, there was no E-Trades. There were no anything. If you wanted to own stock, you had to call a stockbroker when I started. And the stockbrokers, when, when somebody called and placed their, let's just say they called, hey, I want to buy 100 shares of Caterpillar or Home Depot or whatever it is. Then they would, the runners would drop the tickets to the trading desk and then we would fill their order. And of course, then we write a ticket, mark it up, gack them, you know, we give them those commission free trades that you see, but we actually steal a quarter from it. You know, you know, the stuff you don't see inside the spread. Of course, now also when I started, we were trading in fractions. So everything was just like a teeny was 32nd, you know, eighth quarter, whatever. So, you know, and of course, and that's another subject, but I'll just give you a 30-second dissertation on why we went to uh, decimals. Decimals were done but were for the benefit of logarithms is why that happened. And I can tell you, oh, it's better for, the, better for all the clients, better for all that. Because logarithms operate better on pennies and they do fraction. So, but yeah, I mean, now, I mean, actually, I don't really... The traditional market making desk. Now I've been probably away. I've been away from market making for you know, for years. And I mean, with the development of of the ECNs, the Electronic Communications Network, pretty much everybody that's listening. And if you're trading today, you're trading on an ECN. You just don't know which one you're doing. Where the your Archipelago Arca is an ECN. And at the time, there was a bunch of small ones like Daytech, Island, Instanet, and now, Incident, I remember when Incident came to, now it was a big deal because it was the, it used to be just to be the market makers and the Incident. And the Incident would give you access to, that's where you could like finally do invisible orders, hydro orders. Now, so they don't let the public do that. And it's a distance. The market makers, they don't play by the same rules as us, the general public trading. So, but anyhow, I know I kind of ran around your question there. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. And by the way, that, that point about the, the decimalization being good for algos was, well, I think it's spot on. It also, I'd argue, made it more challenging just for the entire industry to make profit because now you don't, you know, your spread's obviously a lot less, you know, compared to when you had 
the days of teenies, so to speak. And it, listen, I mean, I remember my father calling up brokers and tell them, you know, buy, you know, any number of shares and work the order was the phrase that, you know, my father would always use. Now you've got, now you've got full on algos that are working the order and you don't even know how to pick out Right. So it's the entire structure of the market has changed. At that point, talk about just from your own observations, uh, how the sort of evolution of the mechanics of trading have either made it easier or harder to profit. You know, there's no emotion in this market. And, you know, emotion used to play a big part of the stock market. You know, you got these, I see people, they have these fear, the fear, greed indicator, whatever. And I don't really understand that. Saying whether it's right or wrong is just something I personally don't use because, you know, I don't know what the figure, but I, you know, I've talked to some people and I still have a lot of connections that I talk to, you know, people that manage billions of dollars and, and, you know, the, with the algos, I mean, it's not a pure market anymore. I mean, like, and you know, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of other factors too that, that, I mean, like the games that are playing with the ODT market and the, you know, you know, the gamma and that kind of stuff. Now all you got to do is get a, you know, a gamma flip and you got a big move one way or the other. I mean, it is back in the day. I mean, thing, it was actually a lot easier before all the algos and the electronic trading because see, you can look at stuff and if you don't know exactly how algos work, you'll never know why this stock turned or stopped or whatever there. And so you now the execution for people's orders are better today just because you've got so much. The market is so liquid. Yeah, I mean, just so, I mean, like, I mean, I forget what stock, I think it was Carvana last week, you know, traded 180 million shares on one day. I mean, like, I can remember the days that the entirety NASDAQ wouldn't trade 180 million shares. I mean, like, if you had a 100,000 share order, man, it it may take you three days to get, you know, get it out without crashing the stock. So, and that's what your dad was meaning by work the order. He didn't want to affect the price, so he wanted the guy just to kind of work the order. You know, don't offer it out, sit on a bed, let it come to you, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, it's tougher now. I mean, in my opinion, just from now, the liquidity part is great. And because also, you think about the commissions right now, everybody's offered free commissions. And they're not getting a trade for free, but it does not affect their P&L. They get, you know, for for free. So with the liquidity, that's why I tell people, why, why do you hold a loser? I said, you can buy and sell for nothing. Okay. It's not costing you any money. It, you know, that's I always preach to people. Hey, you know, find your stop. I'll, if I'm scalping, I'll pick the, you know, if I'm trading, say a 15 minute candle, I'm going to pick the, probably the candle book before it or maybe one a little bit with the wick a little bit lower, but you know, just, just kind of adding on to what you ask here. I mean, I mean, it is liquidity is wonderful and I don't want liquidity to go away. You know, the volatility's kind of gone away for right now. And of course, we got volatility, but not like, I mean, look at the VIX. I mean, like we're what, in single digits now. So, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Yeah. And actually, that, that, um, I love that point about the fear of greed index because, you know, there's the emotion that you see in the wording and the way that people frame things on FinTwit. And then there's the reality that, you know, most markets are being driven by algos, which are not emotional by any means. So, yeah, you're right. There's an interesting sort of disconnect in terms of just the way that people think about markets and what's actually driving markets. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. 
Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Well, you're not, I mean, like, exactly. The, uh, and it's like, here's the thing about it. Like, when you see, and I know you've got everybody here that's listening, that's trading, have seen, like, you know, seen a stock and it just, like, makes this monster move in, like, 30, 40 seconds. It's just, it's just hourly fighting over itself. And, like, these, and it hadn't been recently. Remember, probably, like, six months ago when all these, like, little Chinese offerings were coming out? They would be, like, $8 and over to 200 overnight. And we just saw arrows feeding off it. Right. No, exactly. Right. Which makes it interesting because it means that people are probably, you know, using things as signals, which maybe is just more random than anything else. But okay. So, so I agree with you on the way things have changed. Let's talk about just the idea of a, a market that moves together for a few minutes here. There was that old saying that a rising tide lifts all boats. A lot of that changed since your interest rate policy. Right. So you ended up having the fangs take over. You ended up having it be a U.S. dominated landscape as opposed to international diversification benefiting and being additive to returns. This year, you know, you and I both know everybody in this Twitter space knows this is one of the most deceptive markets, I'd argue, in history because it's being driven by just a few select large cap, mega cap stocks. Do you think that market making and liquidity and all this has added to this kind of concentration? Dynamic, you know, something, and I've spent a lot of time studying stuff like what you just talked about. And something that, and unfortunately, I guess I'm the nerd guy. I spent time after 2008, 2009, they totally revamped the wording on the Federal Reserve and what they could do pertaining to markets. And I've been making a case and on some of the spaces that I've done and people that follow me that in October, probably. And it's probably larger, but I'm going to error on the safe side. 50% of the U.S. banks became undercapitalized in October. And the bond market was what selling off got down. I think the 20 year got down to, you know, like when the TOT got down to, heck, I don't remember, like 80, 80, 85, 90, somewhere all in there. And it's rallied since then. I think the bonds are rallying this morning. Trading a little blind this morning to, I'm not trading at all because I, we got a huge likeness on here. So I'm kind of in the dark with, Pulling up quotes, I was going to give you the quote on, but I think that, and just of course, this is my thinking, and a lot of people disagree. I mean, if you had half the U.S. banks failing, what could, what do we need to do to stop these banks from failing? And what's going on is what needed to happen. The bonds needed to rally. The banks couldn't take any more hemorrhaging in the bond market, and so we started inflating stocks. Now. How much money are, you know, depending on how much money they're going to print, they're going to print. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, my worries, I've been telling people, it's like, hey, hey are we going to be a Venezuela here? We got this, like, this melt up from hell. And then there's the, the this is, I'm probably going way further than you want to go with this. You know, now you got to start talking about, hey, the value of the dollar. You know, are we just going to keep diminishing this? I mean, technically, you know, we was talking earlier about like ECMs and all that stuff and how the pennies made it. Oh, we're, we're, what they did, I'm making it pennies too. They also stopped competition. And that's along the lines, if you follow banks and if you've been around this industry, 
about every 10 years, 12 years, we have to bleed out the regional banks, you know? So, you know, if you go back and if you ever read the Michael, have you ever read the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island? Yeah, that, and it's funny, a lot of people reference that book in these spaces. So, no, I'm, I'm just actually on vacation in Jekyll Island. I live in Georgia, and it's, you know, it's right off the coast of Georgia. And so, if you ever read that book, things have not changed from what's going on in that book. In my opinion, I mean, like, you know, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm just looking at reading. Because if you go in and read the Federal Reserve thing, they've got powers now that they've never had. And if you've been watching the market, you've seen these days where we were really selling off and we was at a point of total breakdown and all of a sudden stuff just rallies out of nowhere from no support lines, no algo lines, just rally from complete. I don't know how close you watch the queues, but they just bring in these huge one minute volume spikes, like 1.5 million shares, the queues of print. And when it does, it just, every time I see that print and it happens about once a week, the market rallies. And it's just something, I'm, just an aberration I've noticed. I think there's a lot of, you know, what's the right word here? I think there's money being injected. There's money being injected into the market to keep us where we're at. That's what I'm thinking. I, if you look last week at the consumer cyclicals, the basic materials, the equipment makers, all of these companies or all these sectors were totally breaking down. They were breaking out of air flags, just going to go to the downside. And then like the next two days, three days, they had like a 10% rally. You know, just out of the blue, I thought they'd be breaking down. No, I wasn't sure, but I'm just saying that it was a miracle turnaround. Yeah, and by the way, that that I'm glad you said it came out of nowhere because I think a lot of people are beating their chest saying, "Oh, you know, a new school caps are going to run next week or whatever it is." Yeah, I have to highlight it in my own research. The likelihood was there, and I keep saying, yeah, I think we're probably in this kind of stupid small cap rally phase before a risk off, you know, type of you know juncture research, but. That's the thing about this market, right? It happens to be that the case that these laggards can sometimes move so aggressively on the upside because the algos are chiming in and chasing, right? That it becomes hard for anybody that's not algo driven to try to catch this stuff. And oftentimes they just get whipsawed back. Yeah. I mean, I was watching the sectors real close and I mean, I was just amazed at everybody, especially the, which was, oh, the conglomerates. I don't know if you looked at the chart of conglomerates. They were just absolutely killed. I'm talking about murder. I think the consumer cyclicals, I think the equipment makers. I mean, I had about 20 sectors. I can't remember off the top of my head. They were all just like, just, you know, gack ugly. And I'm like, there's absolutely no way that we're going to keep rallying the queues or the spies or whatever with this kind of undermining. You know, and you know what? You know, the market hadn't really, the queues are coming off a little bit right here. Of course, they're still up for today, but, you know, Friday was an update. But did you notice on Friday, they, the decliners led the ambassadors two to one on Friday? Yeah, no, and which goes back to the breadth. It's, this is a very uneven, you know, in quote, new bull market. Uh, yeah. You know, here's the thing about it. Like sometimes, and I tell people all this all the time, the one thing that I don't do is I don't argue with the market. Do I agree with what's going on in the market? I don't. I really don't. But I, you know, I, you know, I'm still trading. You know, if it's a real simple rule, we are, I'll share with everybody, and is that you know, if I'm going to go long a stock, it needs to be above its averages. And I don't care what average you use. Some people use the five to eight, seven, ten, 10, whatever average you use. I like to use. Well, I like to use a lot of them. I look at stuff on all different time frames, and you know, but if it's not above say the eight twenty one to fifty two, I like for it to be above its averages. And I like for it to come back and test. And now I think I've got a good long term. And right right now, I like these sectors we just talked about. 
they're all way below their moving averages. Now they've rallied, but they still haven't rallied up to their averages. And I think once they reach their averages, I think it's time to lay in a short. Just my opinion. I'm not telling you to short it. I'm just saying that's the kind of short setup I look for. So, you know, and now I go back and look at 2008, 2009. We had a tremendous rally like this in 2008, 2009. Matter of fact, it rallied just, but just, just, yeah, I think it rallied from the lows in eight and 08. And it was the, in the summer we made the lows and I think it rallied for like nine months and it almost made new highs. It almost made a perfect double top. Now I might be a little wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty accurate what I'm saying. And then we rolled over and made new lows. I'm talking about we made I mean, like that nine month rally was wiped out in like no time. And you know, who knows? I mean, like you know, if you throw in the election year stuff, where the market's only positive, do we print money? Do we just you know? I mean, and it's something we hadn't even talked about. All of this is you know, with an inverted yield curve. I've never seen a bull market with the inverted yield curve. Are we going to rally the bonds here uninverted? You know, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, no, I definitely want to expand on that. But I want to frame all that in the context of, you know, which is kind of your primary style, right, which is on the scalping side of things. Because I got to assume that, you know, even though you're very short term and, yeah, doing intraday scalping, you've got to keep in mind, you know, the volatility dynamic, the macro environment, because maybe it informs the way you do the scalping, at least I assume. So maybe for the only just explain what scalping is and then how do you factor in sort of longer term things going on in the marketplace to very short term time frames? I actually went over, you know, told some people this last week that when I even like for even for a, a scalp day trade, I do a lot of research. I mean, more research than people would ever think. I mean, like, because I go back and look at all of all of the time frame charts. I'll go back. I mean, I'll go yearly, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily, hourly, because I understand how it goes. And so what I'll do is I'll go find, you know, hey, what's, what's it got to do to be a breakout on the month? What's it got to do to be a breakout on the week? What's it got to do to be a breakout in the quarterly? What's it got to do to be a breakout on the day? What's it got to do to be a breakout on the hour? What's it got to do to be a breakout on the 30? What's it got to do to be a breakout on 15 to 5 to 2 to 1? I will do all of those time frames. And I have a screen that I said I have nine charts. On the same stock, and I'll have all these different time frames, and I'll have the triggers marked on all of them, and then I set the set my alerts for the prices of all of these. Like where if you you know I'm just going to make up some stuff here, like if it was Tesla, okay, so Tesla, you know I'm going to set up you know an alert for it. It's a you know, and I'm just making this up. If you're a Tesla trader, don't listen. This is just me making it. Matter of fact, let's just call it the widget instead of Tesla because somebody say, oh, you said Tesla. So I got this widget company and it's got a monthly break of a hundred. It's got a, you know, a, you know, whatever, a, a weekly at 101. It's got these different break points. And if you can find, and I'll tell you a really good one that I found that some people traded with me a while back, maybe I think about three months ago, Enphase Energy, ENP, ENPH, it had just all of these triggers just lined up, just like dominant. And if you remember, it was one of those days, that, you know, like, I think the thing was down like 40 points in a day. And it was just, it just kept triggering this, bam, bam. And it was just one of those days where you asked me, you know, how I scout. That's what I look for. I look for multiple triggers on a day trade. And if I can find multiple triggers on a day trade, that's where I like to hang out. But I also, like last week, I traded Carvana. Yes, a Nazi stock. And I think Carvana's probably, you know, probably not going to be around forever. You know, but it's, 
Uh, maybe they will be. I don't know. I just I'm just buying a you know a box of cracker jacks like you know, a car. You know, I just. But anyhow, on something like that, you know, it had multiple traders last week, and that's why it made that big rip in that one day. And that was all. There was no news stories or no nothing. It was just you had a stock that hit multiple traders. And I think that that's how I normally approach it. Now, I'm also very good. You can just put me in front of the stock, and I can look at a day chart and find ways to trade it. I like to trade inside candles that are sitting on averages. I like I trade candle formations, you know, whether it be a shooting star or whatever the doji. I mean, just you know, whether bullets. Yeah, you know, I just I look at the chart patterns, and if they're set up on my averages like I like it, I, then I'll make a trade off of that too. But I'm real adamant about like, hey, the biggest difference between say me and somebody is I don't have a problem selling. I don't have an ego, and you know, I can act like I have an ego. But the truth is, I'm trying not what I think. I know for a fact what I think does not matter. It does not matter what the hell I think. I got some thoughts and sometimes they're totally wrong. But you know what? I told somebody the other day, I said, yeah, I said, Ned listens to me. I told him, I was like, you know, hey, this is the case. Hey, look, I'm totally wrong on this, but see, I don't have a problem flipping to the other side. If I, you know, if, you know, if the stock doesn't set short, then it's setting up long. Very rarely do you have a stock that's just going to say, hey, screw it. I'm just going sideways. You just got to be able to, I don't have a, I had an old trader tell me one time, he said, if you sell your position, are you going short? I was like, no, he goes, then why are you selling your position? You sell your position, well, you're ready to go short. So, you know, how many people go from, you know, selling their long to going short on stock? How many people do that? But a lot of times I'll do that, especially if they get to spend above their averages, then that's something else I would have to take time to, to really explain. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. To reset the room for the remaining 20 minutes. Everybody here, please make sure you follow Uncle Peck on Twitter. And if any of you want to come up and ask questions, don't hesitate to click on that bottom left mic request button. And as I keep referencing, this will be an under lead lag live on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Do you find that trading you know, on a very short term basis, individual stocks is a bit of a lost art? I feel like a lot of people have just moved on to you know, trading spies or other ETFs, futures, but you know, kind of the the company specific trading, I get the sense, has been kind of minimized in the last several years. Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, like, if I really have a strong setup on the spies or the queues, most of the time, though, if I have something I really like on spies and queues, I actually go and I'll trade ES or NQ on the futures. But I do trade sometimes, like, last year when the market was going down, I would, I, you know, I was, always was carrying some queues short just kind of as a hedge if I was long something. You know, the, you know, you look at it, you, that's, I tell people that, and here's something else that I think people should do is, especially newer traders, they need to get to know the personalities of the stocks they trade. You know, are, is a stock gappy? Is it liquid? Is it, is it pop a point, not give you liquidity? You know, and there's stocks out there that, that I don't trade because of, I'm actually looking up on down my list, trying to give an example, you know, 
heck, I can't find one. It doesn't really matter. But no, I mean, like, that's one of the things I do. And I have about 50 stocks that, it, you know, that it's kind of like my bread and butter stocks. And out of those 50, something's usually set up. One or two or three of them I've set up for a trade. I already know where all the triggers are. I have them programmed in my computer. And, you know, sometimes I'm sitting here and not watching something and an alert will come up. And I already know what I'm going to do when the alert comes up. And so, you know, when it comes up, I put in my order. Bam, I'm not having to go chart it. I'm already, I've already done that part of the program. And I think people need to get to that point because here, this is a game of speed. And you know, I was joking somebody about, you know, are you trading on a level two or using a keyboard or using a mouse? I use a keyboard with hotkeys. And I mean, it's the same keyboard that was, I had set up 20 years ago. Matter of fact, some of y'all know, <laughs> if you know what QAPNL means, you're a trader. So, but anyhow, I don't know whether I answered your question. Just feeding you some fluff here, man. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Okay. So, so uh, you mentioned sort of multiple timeframes to try to get you a high probability type of setup. Are there other particular stocks, industries, you know, not financial advice, obviously, but things that, you know, from your way of looking at things are kind of all aligning for either a long trade or you know, a short trade with the caveat that I'm just not a fan of shorting, but just sort of just in general things that you think are high probability for multiple time frames. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the shorting thing. The, uh, now, last year, it was, I stayed short most of all the year. I mean, I just the people that traded with me, well, I mean, like we were short some of those high flyers like Karma, like Shop, like Airbnb, uh, you know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, people, I'm going to like say, I'm going to come back to that question, but here's something I always tell people. Remember, Wall Street's job, their only job is to sell you stock. That's their job. They're, that's their job. They are raising money and they sell you the stock to raise that money. That's what they do. That's how they make money. It's like, I mean, let's go back to NVIDIA. NVIDIA, they're sitting there with billions of dollars in cash, billions of dollars in cash. And now it's a buyback and an offering at the same time. Think about it. So. So that's their job. I mean, so yeah, I mean, like if this market wants to melt up, hey, melt up. I mean, I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to fight you. You know, I don't agree with you going up because I think it'll be bad. I think it's personally bad. And like, it, you know, is I guess we'll find out CPI and PI come out. And of course, we could talk about that for a while because they keep changing the numbers on CPI. And basically, what we got cayenne pepper and Tabasco sauce on the CPI now. It's not even lunchtime, but I'm going to hungry now that you said that. So, okay. All right. Hold on. The, uh, but let, but we'll go back to that point about well, yeah, multiple time frames, kind of yeah, anything that's perking up for you, any interesting opportunities that yeah you think are on the way. I hear you on the melt up. I mean, I think if you are going to have you know uh, a further move higher, it probably does have to broaden out, right? So there is probably some some room for the consumer play. It's just on an oversold basis, right? I keep mentioning that retailers are yeah have looked so terrible that they're probably due for some kind of rebounds. You know, a lot of consumer discretionary stocks look like they're getting some momentum, but. Where are you kind of focusing your long average? I mean, like, it's hard to, you know, last night I was looking at a chart of Boeing. Boeing's trying to break out of this range it's been in for, what, three or four months? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's been in this, like, 196, 210, 215 area. Boeing, if you're an individual stock, I was looking at Boeing last night. You got Boeing sitting here with two inside days in a row off a big, big golfing, you know, bullish engulfing that got above a trend line. So, I mean, Bowen could be one that that can break out here. Netflix is another one I've been looking at. I've actually been preaching Netflix, preaching, but 
Netflix is, you know, it's made these gains. It went from like 340 to this 419 level. It's inside of day right here. You know, Netflix get above the, say, the 425, 426 area. I mean, you could see another 30, 40 points on Netflix. If the market, you know, if conditions present themselves correctly, I'm not saying go buy Netflix here. What I'm saying is watch Netflix, and if it does break out above higher here, you might get a nice move there. What else was I looking at last night? I actually got my lips right here. NVIDIA. I mean, we, yeah, I've been you know, talking about NVIDIA, kind of bashing NVIDIA, but if you look at NVIDIA, man, when it got, it got up, you know, up that 100 points from earnings, you now you've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You've got 12 trading days. It's for two weeks now. NVIDIA's just been grinding right here from about, what, 372 to this 400 level. And yeah, like I was, I told some people last night, I did a space last night. I was like, I would not short a video here. I'm not saying I'm going long here, but I wouldn't short it here. The only way I would short it is if it went back and broke the opening that the lower wick around 368.50, which is, you know, 20 points lower. Then I think you've got some downside risk, but whichever way a video breaks from here, whether it, you know, whether it goes, breaks the lower wick from what date was that? Five, May 25th. I would look for if it loses that that wick that or wick. I would look for a short there, and then I would if it breaks up here, then who knows? I mean, I mean the video is at all time highs, which is hard to believe, but it is, and you can't argue with it. And it's you know it looks like a bull five here to me, but we can go any either direction here. But I, yeah, that's why I'm looking at. I've been looking at the video Netflix, Boeing. I think we talked about Costco last night, and Mama was sitting here with three inside days. I ain't looking at Bob this one. Bobo is a trading on three inside days, which, you know, it looks like it's trying to break out of it. Yeah. yeah. The defense side gets to be interesting, which maybe we can tease out a bit more, but I want to go to the name of the space tips and common mistakes. Yeah, Cause yeah, you mentioned you've been on a number of these spaces. I tune in every now and then just some curious to hear what people say. And, you know, it's a bunch of, you know, people ranting on individual stocks and then kind of ranting against the Fed, but really you have people kind of talk about you know, how to think about avoiding mistakes. So you've been in business for over three decades. You see a lot of traders. You mentioned the prop side. So I'm sure you interact with a lot of novices that came in and blew out their accounts. What are some of the major mistakes that you observe people make time and time again? You know, it's kind of funny. But what I'm going to say is so simple, but it, I mean, it's the major problem. And I always make a joke. Have you ever seen a trader that struggled with buying? No, you know, most the, tra- the str- traders that are struggling struggle because they don't know how to sell. They refuse to sell. I mean, like, I don't have a problem. I mean, I may on some scalp trades, I may enter it and I may be out of the thing in a minute, in one minute, maybe 30 seconds sometimes, because I always make a joke, but it's the truth. I don't need proof. I'm, I'm stupid. Okay. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need this stock to prove me wrong. I know that it didn't act like I wanted to act. And I sell it. If, it, if a stock is not acting, especially if you're a scalper and you're a day trader, if it's not acting like you want it to act, if it's not moving the way you want it to move, then you sell it. You get out of it. You get flat. That's the name of the business, preservation of capital. And people would rather, people would rather lose money than miss a trade. That's a whole nother, uh, this, this is a psychological talk, and I'll talk about it briefly, and if you want to go further, we will. But I always tell people the reason this happened is because of your ego, who is your enemy, you're a person that wants to kill you and self-destruct you, will not let you 
sell this because you're arguing with what's going on. I mean, and you really, when you shouldn't have an opinion, you know, does a computer, does an algo have an opinion? No, it does not. It just reacts. And that's what you need to, this is a reaction business and nothing else. You've got, you know, if you got your reaction points, I call them triggers. If you know what your triggers are, you know what your stops are, and then you honor them. And I actually was having this conversation with somebody that was struggling last week. And I told them, I was like, when I was a market maker, we had like limits. So we had stop loss limits. You've never like whatever it was, like 15, 20 grand, 25. I don't even know what, what they were at the time. But if you went over those, you got called to the principal's office. And it was the manager, it wasn't the principal, but it was what we always called. You got called, you know, within two fingers to his corner office and they would scold you. And if you did that enough times, you would get fired. So I tell people, I was like, hey, how many times, if you tell me what your stop loss, so your stop limit is, how many times would I have fired you in the last year? Because see, people don't look at it as, hey, this is your job, okay? This is your job, and you're your boss, and you're accountable for your actions. Everything you do is a choice. You you know, you didn't get stuck in a trade. That's just the dumbest damn thing I've ever heard. You, I got stuck in a trade. I just want, if I could reach out and slap somebody when they tell me that, I got stuck. No, you didn't get stuck, dumbass. You didn't sell it. And it's not being stuck. It's called you sitting there frozen in fear and didn't do what you were supposed to do. And so, you know, I guess the, the, the number one thing, I mean, I, no trader would ever have a problem if they would sell they're losers. Some of them are not coming back. They're not. They're like Carvana. If you bought Carvana at 200, chances are you're not going to get 200 out of Carvana or any of these stocks that they went, you know, were DoorDash or any of these stocks that went, the IPOs that went out like whatever, 18 months ago, two years ago. Most of them are already reached their all time highs. You know, I might be wrong. We have a melt up, but I'm just saying that the number one thing is if, you will close your losers with a small loss. You'll never have a monster loss. And he's like, well, but I sold it. And as soon as I sold it, it went up. So what? That's going to happen. I mean, like, here's another thing, you know, talking about like problems traders have is if they sell it, they have a, if you're going to continue watching that same stock, if it moves higher and sets up, they don't trade it. They walk away from it. And that's okay. I mean, there's a lot of times if I have a losing stock, I'll just take it off my screen because it's not like I want one. Because there's so many things out there that you can trade, I can find something else. But I also will sell. So let's just say if I'm trading something, it's 100 and it drops down. I have a stop at 99, I'll sell it. But then it rallies back to 100 and gets back up into above the averages inside a can, a 15 minute candle or something. I'm buying it. I mean, that's not, here's the thing. You've heard people preach price and say, I never preach price. Price is important, but what I preach is your setup. And it's not your setup is, yeah, you can say price sets it up, but I operate by the candle, not necessarily the price. And so you get confused of uh, what's really good and what's not because you think if you bought it, because I tell people that I would rather wait for something to go back above his average and come back to it. And I'm going to pay a higher price, but I've got support by the averages for the stock not to go against me. If you're buying below the averages, you have absolutely nothing to stop. Nothing. And so that's just kind of the two main things I look at. And I have these simple rules that I tell people. Go long when you're above, go short when you're below. When they rally back to them or fall back to them, then you got another trade. So 
I hope that kind of answers what you asked me. So I, I want to transition that to the pin tweet on your Twitter profile when I shared it on that mess. This is kind of the issue, right? It's like, yeah, I really got to cut your losses. But the reason people don't cut their losses is regret because if they cut the loss and then it comes right back, they get nervous about buying back in their framework is around where they sold. So is that really true on Amazon? Yeah. Just, yeah. So talk about that for a bit because I think it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and that's an extreme example, obviously. Yeah, let me, hold on. Let me get a shot of tequila. Morgan, no, um, yeah, I mean, it was the year 2000, then. The go-go days. Now, I'm a totally different human being than I was. What was it? Damn, was that 23 years ago? That's all right. 23 and a half years ago. You know, I Amazon was a really hot, high-flying stock, which there was a bunch of high-flying internet stocks in 2000. And, I'm, and I, made a, you know, I made a lot of money. But in the Amazon, I think it hit a high of like 130, 127 in 2000. And it dropped. And when I tell people this, it dropped to, it originally, it bottomed at $3. Okay. So I did not start buying Amazon to probably, I don't know, probably it was like 15 bucks. I was like, man, $15, man, this thing has got to bounce. I mean, it, this is. So I bought what you know, maybe five thousand shares. And anyhow, it dropped another couple of points and I bought five thousand shares. And then it dropped another couple of points and I bought ten thousand shares. And then it dropped another anyhow, long story short, I did that famous averaging down because I was gonna just I was gonna kill this thing. I mean, like this thing's gotta at least go back to thirty or forty, right? Well, you know, what happens when a stock goes below five dollars? It becomes unmarginable. And now you have margin calls, which used to come in the forms of pink slips. And man, I like, I tell people, you, you, and I've never seen in 2008 was kind of close, but 2000 was a brutal, long, drawn out, just never going up, just bare flag down, bare flag down, bare flag. And then it just, everything just ground sideways for two, three, four years. I mean, like from 2002 to 2005, the market was just totally sideways. I mean, like everybody was pretty much wiped off the map, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I ended up just cuking that all out because that meant even when I sold that loss, I mean, I still, I don't know what it was, but I had, you know, I salvaged like 80 grand when I sold it. It was, I was just at a point where I mean, like, and at the time, people don't understand at the time, there was speculation that Amazon was going to go out of business. Amazon in, in 2000 is not the Amazon of today. I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't, uh, Amazon had a really big problem uh, with delivery at the time. They didn't have this free delivery stuff. So, I mean, there was speculation they might go on business and I finally just couldn't take any more pain. And I sold it and it was, yeah, of course, you know, if I held a position to today, you know what it would be worth. I mean, that's not an exaggeration because I actually did the math. And it's kind of funny how, uh, like, when I did that tweet, I had like 400 followers. And uh, and that was kind of like the tweet that put me on the Twitter map was, I always make fun of us. I give you all this good stuff and y'all like this tweet the most. So, but anyhow, yeah, man, it's, you know what, man, it's just one of those, like, it was an expensive it was an expensive master's degree, and I've never done that since. I just self, I don't hold stuff. I don't, I'm not much, and I really, I'm not a big long-term trader. Uncle Bag, where do, uh, where do people find you other than Twitter? In terms of, like, if they want to track your work or your content, your thoughts on market. You know, I'm, uh, I'm actually a, a real novice at the social media thing. 
I only started tweeting it a couple of years ago and I did it just for fun. Honestly, I was, it was a way for me to break up the monotony of trading alone. My father passed away and I was depressed. And I, that's the only reason I ever started tweeting. And I never even considered other people, you know, whatever. But I do have a, a Discord room. I hadn't been in much lately because I just hadn't honestly decided how I'm going to, what I'm going to do here. I applied for this, the Twitter subscription service, and I, I do have that, but I've been like really disappointed in how Twitter has handled things. And so right now you can just follow me here on Twitter, or if you wanted to subscribe, it's $9.99 a month. But, you know, other than that, man, I don't have any other services. I don't have, a, you know, I didn't even really, wasn't even sure I was going to do like a service, but then I was spending so much time on it. I was like, man, I'm, I need a little bit of compensation here, man. So that's what I did. So right now I don't like, I don't have like a anything where, hey, if you want to see me do this, I'm considering it. I hadn't done it yet. Considering some options, but yeah, right now I'm pretty much just on, on Twitter and, uh, you know, I got a subscription service and which just started and but other than that's the only way you can follow me. That's a good place to wrap it. Twitter's face up, everybody. Please make sure you follow Uncle Pack. Thank you, Pack. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.